This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Shao Ik. It's Friday afternoon. It's our Doctor in the House segment with my co-host, Dr. George Lee. How are you, George? I'm good. Obviously, it's the first uh, Friday of the uh, December. We're coming to the end of the year now. What happened to 2022, right? No idea. I'm sure we had, a, we had a general election. That's right. Okay, and then we had a you know transitions from um, you know the pandemic uh, to endemic. Um, you know, COVID-19 and life change. You know, we, we kind of like um, probably forgot about how it felt like in the last two years. Mm. And I'm sure there were a lot of people with very different experiences um, during this pandemic as That's well. Right. Uh, I think we'll be hearing from uh, one of those people today um, because uh, tomorrow, the 3rd of December, is International Day of Persons with Disabilities. Mm-hmm. And um, so we have acknowledged a lot that Malaysia is an aging population or we will be moving towards a rapidly aging society. And um, we are becoming more familiar with this term dementia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and perhaps some of us understand it from the medical perspective. Um, there are impaired cognitive and physical abilities in a person who has dementia. Mm-hmm. But in conjunction with the International Day of persons with disabilities, as I mentioned, um, we thought it'd be interesting to look at dementia through a disability lens. Mm -hmm. What would that actually mean and how does that help us better understand and support the care partners um, for people with dementia? And that's a term that's quite new to me, care Mm -hmm. partners, and we will be finding out more about it with our guest, Sharifa Tahir, a family care partner and a dementia advocate. Sharifa, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm great. Thank you. So perhaps we could get you to start by sharing your story. How did your mom come to be diagnosed with dementia? When was this and how you came to be her care partner? I'll start with a very basic definition of dementia. It is a general term for impaired cognitive functioning that is severe enough to interfere with daily life. Uh, in Malaysia, there are currently about 300,000 persons over the age of 60 Mm. who are uh, probably living with dementia. So my journey with my mom started nine years ago uh, when she started to show signs and symptoms that are really uncharacteristic of her. And that includes uh, disorientation, Mm. repetition of words, uh, challenging situations in in making decisions and also her gait changed and we knew something was not right and so we pushed for a diagnosis and i tell you an experience where in one of the uh, sessions at the clinic because they had done when i asked the doctor for a referral for my mom what she said was well i chatted with her and that was about 15 minutes and she said there's nothing wrong with her Mm. So I took my mom outside of the clinic. I went back to see the doctor. I said, doctor, I'm really sorry, but I am with my mother almost daily. This is not characteristic of her. Something is not right. I know my rights and I know my mother's rights. Would you please give me a referral to uh, the hospital? Uh-huh. She wasn't happy with that, but she she gave me the referral. And three months later, my mom was diagnosed with dementia, with Alzheimer's. Mm. The point here is we, 
you know, I wondered how many people fall through the cracks. And, and, and the study that was done by the Alzheimer's Disease International, it says between 75% to 90% globally, people, people do not get diagnosed for dementia. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you that, you know, it is probably the statistics that you highlighted, perhaps it's just the tip of the iceberg. And then we are um, kind of like probably facing this much bigger problems that's coming, especially we are in an aging nation uh, status come in coming years. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I became my mother's care partner. I volunteered for it. It wasn't forced on me. I decided that, you know, in 20s, in, in 2006, when tsunami hit, my mom was visiting me in the U.S. And that's how we find out about the tsunami. And then she left, which made me think like, wow, you know, your loved ones can be taken away from you just like that. Mm-hmm. So I thought, what am I doing in the U.S.? Tens of, tens of thousands of miles away. And that, those were the, you know, one of the key milestones for me. When my mom was diagnosed, I decided I'm going to do this. So you came back be- from the U.S.? Correct. I, I came back from the U.S., but she wasn't diagnosed then. I did consulting work, which eventually I left everything. And I'm a full-time care partner to my mom. Mm-hmm. Shari mentioned the term care partner. And then for both of us, this is quite a new uh, terminology. Can you elaborate a little bit um, about the concept of care partner? Instead of a caregiver, sure. right? Correct. Um, Caregiver implies a one-way relationship where a single person is giving or meeting the needs of another. I used to identify myself as a caregiver until my mom called me in her own words, my partner. Mm. I began to question that. Um, So care partner implies a relationship in which both parties contribute to the interpersonal dynamic. It underscores the value of relationship. But I think most importantly, it highlights the dignity of the person we are care partnering with. In my case, I give my mom the love and support to enable her to live with dementia as best as possible. Mm-hmm. In turn, she gives me new meanings to qualities that I had loosely grasped. But most precious gift that she's giving me is the experience to grow to become me, mm. which I which really is a life transforming experience. So the term has made a world of difference in my relationship with my mother and also the way I view her. Is this an atypical perception of dementia and and the roles of um, care partners and? If it is atypical, do you think that if we shift the mindset towards the idea of a partner rather than a giver of care, would that change the experience for more care partners? I think um, the care partner experience is really a life-changing experience. If you go into it thinking that, using the term, or you see it as a burden, then that's what you are going to respond to. Your responses will be framed by the term you use. Whereas if you see it as a blessing, which I do, I think this is such a blessing, um, then it changes the whole perception 
and and you know the determination to understand the, the dementia itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I had always been curious about the brain. Yes. Dementia is about the brain. It's about brain change. I've always been curious. So when my mom was diagnosed, I self-educated myself about dementia. Um, I read and I spoke to care partners, learning from their experiences. But I realized that knowledge itself is sufficient. I needed skills. I mean, this is really about having the right skill set. Um, and so I've been using Tifa's nose positive approach to care since 2016. And I see a huge difference using those sets of skills with my mother. Mm-hmm. And the foundation of positive approach to care is about one relationship, two is valuing the person and seeing the person from their perspective. And um, it's about knowing the unique situation of the person. Mm-hmm. And then also focusing on the retained abilities and co- capabilities rather than looking at dementia as a deterioration. Mm-hmm. And people have a lot of that conception. Dementia equals memory loss equals she's not going to remember you. Mm-hmm. So when you start off with that, I mean, a diagnosis in itself is creates a lot of mixed emotions. Yeah. I mean, I remember feeling guilt, fear, anger, frustration, grief even. And then on top of that, to be told that all these negative things are to happen. Mm-hmm. And yet I see my mom, oh, wait a minute. She's still functioning as a normal person because there is a progression People can still function well, particularly in the early stages, but the progression is gradual. Mm. It also depends on what kind of environment you offer the person. Mm. Because if my mom's just sitting in her room, lying on the bed, watching TV 24-7, and no stimulation whatsoever, yes, not just her, you and I, we are all going to deteriorate, not just mm. my mother. Mm. She's now in the advanced stage. She's still reading. She uh, This morning, I told her I have an interview this afternoon. And the response from her immediately was, you have to think what you want to say to those people. <laughs> Good for her. Good for her. Yes, indeed. Mm. So uh, let's go for a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue to explore that idea of how do you provide that kind of supportive environment. Um, You say that framing it um, as looking at it as a relationship, a partnership um, helps uh, care care partners to see as a blessing and um, not as a burden, but also realistically there are many challenges that family members, and typically it's family members, isn't Mm. it, who take on this role quite disproportionately. Uh, And also that question that I started off with, how do we look at dementia through a disability lens? And is that actually going to change the kind of support and care we can give to people with dementia and their care partners? I have to stop myself from using the term caregivers. Um, You know, I think for the benefit of people who are not used to it, we may still use the term caregivers, but um, I think we're just starting to... um, kind of bring in that understanding, the more 
all-encompassing role of a care partner. So our guest today is Sharifa Tahir, a family care partner and dementia advocate, sharing her experience of taking or, or being her mom's partner in managing dementia. And of course, my co-host, Dr. George Lee, consultant urologist. Stay tuned to Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shao Ik, and my co-host, Dr. George Lee. We're speaking today to Sharifa Tahir, a family care partner and dementia advocate. Sharifa has been taking care of her mother who was diagnosed with uh, dementia in 2014. That was nine years ago. Uh, interestingly, Sharifa has described it as a journey um, of partnership with her mom rather than of her giving care to her mom and her mom being a passive recipient of it, which is really turning this whole idea of caregiving um, on its head, uh, looking at the role of family members um, in terms of uh, understanding where the individual is, their perspective and what their retained abilities still are, as you've explained, Sharifa. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it, the role of supporting people with dementia tends to fall on family members in Malaysia. Um, are Malaysians sufficiently equipped or supported to take on this role? You talked about learning a lot, um, re uh, getting information, uh, learning skills. Um, you perhaps are in a better position than some others to do so. So across the board, um, are Malaysians supported in their abilities to get the information and learn the skills to help them along with their loved ones? Yeah, let me start going back a bit because, you know, we've been talking in a, in a positive light, right? But the reality, as you mentioned, Xiao Ik, there are a lot of challenges. Dementia care partnering is really, really hard work. I have nine years of experience behind me. I am trained. I am certified. Uh, I'm a certified consultant, trainer, and a peer support facilitator. But there are times that it really gets overwhelming. So I do not want to negate that experience. I validate them. And this is one of the strategies, and I think it's really critical for care partners to validate that this is a very difficult job that they're taking mm -hmm. on. It's, it's challenging. You need to validate that. You need to process it. And if you do need help, professional help to address it, because there are really significant impact on the care partner who are usually women, mm -hmm. yeah. a family, a female family member. Yeah. I mean, Sharifa, um, you describe a situation where obviously you're well-trained, you're in a position to do so. I mean, can, can we understand a little bit about your family situation? Because in Asia, a lot of this uh, sandwich uh, generation where obviously the people have children to look after and elderly uh, individuals to look after, under that circumstances, obviously it's sometimes near impossible. Can you describe a little bit about your home situation, siblings, who else is taking part and what sort of like a challenges you face whenever you are trying to get some respite yourself? Okay, including me, there are nine of us. But I chose to take on the responsibility. 
my siblings have been supporting financially, and when I do need help and support, they are there. In addition to that, I have friends. I have people I can call up and say, I'm calling you. I just want to vent. Don't say a word. I just want to vent. Now put down the phone and I'm fine. You need that support. And so having that kind of support has helped me to navigate this journey, even though I'm doing it alone. I will not advise anybody to do it because it is really tough. Had I known that this is the level and intensity of care that is needed, especially towards the end of the journey, I would have put people and system in place at diagnosis. And I think that's the message that should be given to care partners and families from the beginning of their journey. For many, many people, they do not have that resources, the luxury to provide one-to-one care mm-hmm. to their loved one. I'm doing that. So you have women who are our care partners, or mostly women, who are either working or not working. They may be single or married. They may be healthy or not healthy. They may be young. We have grandmothers. We have disabled grandmothers who are also care partners, not necessarily for dementia, but we're talking about care partners in general. And so the impact is pretty significant in terms of physical, mental, emotional, and um, financial. So women who have taken on this role, they have very little opportunity to engage in income-generating activities, in social life, uh, in all aspects of, you know, the, the uh, living. And my concern, particularly with women, is that these are gendered roles. It's a very gendered stereotypes that has been you know, part of our patriarchal society that women too have internalized. And this starts from early age at home and in school. I think this needs to stop. We need to educate both girls and boys to take on care partnering roles and to educate them about gender equity. I think that's really important. And the media also plays a very significant role in in this area where they tend to perpetuate, maybe not intentionally, uh, the gender stereotypes. So when you say that if you had known at the beginning of it or at diagnosis, you would have put in place people and systems, what do you mean by that? And should, you know, individual care partners still be doing that on their own or broadly can the system um, be improved to help put those safeguards in place? There is a huge gap between the expectation of the society and what is provided for the care partners to take on that role. I think there's so much uh, expectations for the care partners to perform a role. If we don't do well, I mean, there are instances where I heard from care partners that they get scolded by the doctors if anything happens to the person they are care partnering with. I I believe that's part of stigma too, is the attitude uh, uh, towards the person with dementia and their care partners. But I think that the system includes 
Dementia affects everybody, not just the person with dementia, not the immediate care partners, not the family. It affects the society. It affects the community. It affects us in all kinds of ways. And I think that it's about time that we really need to take a serious look at how we provide support to care partners, particularly in Malaysia is now... Uh, it's already a aging society. It's going to be a super age society. Mm-hmm. And age is the strongest risk factor for dementia, although it is not part of our normal aging. And there are people who are in their 20s and 30s who have dementia. Yeah. But if we look at Malaysia as an aging society, and we really, we understand that currently it's already eight of a point, nearly 9% of the population above 60 and living with dementia, this is going to increase. So coming back to the question of then what needs to be in place? What needs to be in place? First and foremost, I would say there is a draft national dementia plan of action. Mm. I would say we need to finalise that. But before finalising it, we need to systematically engage persons with dementia and care partners and families to give their inputs. This has started in 2019 before the uh, before COVID and it's been put on hold, understandably, but it has been revived. And I and a group of dementia and disability advocates and CSOs have been requesting for access to the national plan. And we wanted to have access to it so that we can make, you know, we we wanted to see if that plan reflects the express aspiration needs and human rights of persons with dementia and care partners. So there are 120 diseases and causes that leads to dementia. And these are all very different. And each person experiences it differently. Each care partner experiences it differently. Each circumstances all different. We need to bring all of these experiences and also the lived experience that we have collectively. Um, we need to bring this to the table. Mm-hmm. And I think this is also a right. It is a human right. It is stipulated in the CRPD, which is the Convention for the Prevention of Persons with Disabilities. And Malaysia has adopted uh, the okay, ACTA OKU 2008, which also uh, recognizes dementia as a disability. So you haven't have access to the, uh, the plan no, no, I mean, let's say if you have access to it, what are you pl- what are you hoping to see? What are the five key points you're hoping to see that we can achieve? What aspirations do you think we should have? September 21st this year, a group of us wrote a statement. We had a vision for Malaysia and that vision uh, for Malaysia for dementia is for it to be a dementia dignified. Okay. Malaysia to be dementia dignified, which Fair means... Enough. People and system appreciate the retained strengths and abilities of persons with dementia. Mm-hmm. We envision Malaysia to be dementia competent, mm-hmm. uh, where diverse healthcare and social services and health facilities are equipped with enough providers, staff who are dementia sensitive, and have the right knowledge, skill sets, and attitude 
to meet the express needs of persons with dementia, care partners and families, and mm-hmm. also for Malaysia to be dementia inclusive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People with disabilities, including dementia, are often excluded. So in here, we need a whole society that knows about dementia, knows how to interact with and support them, provides a safe and accessible physical and social environment, at the same time, ensuring the opportunities and access for persons with dementia and care partners to continue to engage. Again, the key word is engagement of persons with lived experience. And the other thing, once you have people with lived experience engage in these processes, you will understand what kind of stigma, discrimination, challenges that we face. And I'm just, I'm not talking about what Sharifa experiences. We're talking about Ani in a kampung in Johor Bahru, Mrs. Wong in Sabah, pendalaman orang asli. Mm. All the, everybody's affected. We need to have a platform where persons with lived experiences can engage. And for to really engage authentically, value needs to be placed. Mm. That yes, we recognize lived experiences. Well said. Yes, we we are going to empower you. We're going to put a budget into it. When I say inclusive, I'm really meaning not just the dementia advocates. We are talking about people who want to contribute. Absolutely. The whole of society, like you said. Can I um, go back to a point you said where we have the Persons with Disability or the OKU Act, um, we have ratified the Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities. How do you put those two together, dementia and disability? Because there's a stigma. Not everyone wants to be labelled with the term disabilities or having a disability, right? But how would that make the approach towards or support for dementia different? Mm. You're absolutely correct. With dementia, there's a whammy. There's ageism because, again, most people who are living with dementia are older adults. Two, dementia, and three, disabilities. So people do not want to be identified as a person with disability. But you need to have the protection the protection of an act that is going to protect your rights. You are going to need support. You need to have access to services that may not be inclusive. For example, my mom, because of diabetes, uh, neuropathy, and her loss of coordination and balance, she is on a wheelchair. So wherever I go with her, I cannot access where there is not inclusive accessibility. The infrastructure. Correct. So the response in Malaysia for dementia has been very much a charity and medical model. Mm. It is in the domain of the the medical field. But we are saying that without a cure and even with with, uh, medication that is not disease modifying, most of the bulk of the care partnering happens at home, happens in the society. Outside of the healthcare system, right? Absolutely. So we really need to look at it from the disability lens. Uh, Because with the disability lens, we are talking, we are saying that we are not the problem. The infrastructure, physical infrastructure, the access to information, 
basically the social construct that put in place, we cannot access. Mm. Therefore, we need to dismantle this, this, these barriers. We need to look at it from the disability rights model. With the disability rights model, it really looks at the barriers that are out there, dismantle those barriers, and so that people can engage and have meaningful lives meaningful lives. Without that, we talk about dignity, but really, how can we live dignified lives when mm-hmm. we cannot have access? I mean, really, if I do not have access to an OKU parking bay, mm. I cannot go anywhere. I mean, our life with dementia is already restricted. And then on top of that, you put a layer where you can't even access a parking bay. So forget going to the bank, going for a cup of coffee, simply because it, it may sound simple but it's not it Mm. really affects our well-being without having access to mobility so we need to have a reform of our transportation system yeah absolutely everything that's very fundamental so you're saying that it's not the disease that causes disability um, it's the barriers in society everything as fundamental as public transportation um, you know pavements uh, physical access to um, public spaces right so and you Absolutely. talked about uh, what are your aspirations um, for the national plan so now we have a new um, administration in place after the elections um, largely formed by the Pakatan Harapan Coalition. I mean, just if you're looking at the block, I don't know why I'm going to po- political numbers here. But basically, Pakatan Harapan's manifesto was striking because they had some significant um, points uh, devoted to the aged care and prof- professionalizing the care economy. I don't want to go into those specifics, but I want to ask you, you have um, very, you and your um, community of advocates have very specific points. Um, We have an administration that may be open um, to reviving that national plan, maybe. You know, how do you think you can have access to them and be able to uh, include the voices of care partners and individuals into that process? I think getting access is from my personal experience of trying to access the National Dementia Plan has been very difficult. Um, but there are individuals, there are entities that understand this need, that we need to be part and parcel. I think having people like me Having uh, with link, you know, working together in unity with other advocates that are trying to achieve similar goals. I think for us to work together and look at which are the authorities uh, that are that we really need to target. And that one of the things I think is really, really important is to come prepared. We need to have the data, mm-hmm. and where the where, where data is not sufficient, which in in dementia, particularly with care partners, the dementia uh, the, the data is insufficient. Even with uh, disabilities, the data is sufficient. We don't have a baseline. There's never been an audit. The, C, uh, the Convention for Persons with Disabilities uh, was ratified in twin, uh, in 2012, and we still 
we do not have an audit. We do not even have a report. Uh, I mean, you portrayed this kind of utopia that obviously we all aspire to. But the reality is that, you know, in your situation as a care partner, it's probably a bit of exception rather than norm because you have the luxury of nine siblings. You have the luxury of financial support. You have luxury of quitting a job in US and actually look after your mom. But what about for those, you know, like you said that the Orang Asli in uh, Perak and then also, you know, uh, Mrs. Wong from uh, Johor Bahru, who are in a sandwich generations who are really, um, you know, trying to make ends meet for their family, but yet care for their loved ones who are undergoing this. Is there any kind of like a advice? I mean, how can we even bridge that, um, you know, crisis at this moment? You know, I was, I was particularly happy uh, when I saw the Pakatan Harapan's manifesto. One of them was uh, institutionalized assistance and allowance for caregivers. I think this should be jobs. They may turn into jobs. Sure. I'm doing, you know, I've, I've worked hard. I saved enough to have a comfortable life in, in, in retirement. That saving is dwindling and it's dwindling fast because caring for a person with long-term disabilities uh, or long-term health issue is very, very expensive. So it should be and considered as an occupation? I think it should be considered as an occupation. There needs to be a lot of uh, recognition, accommodation. First, recognition, value, validate, and understand that we are making huge contributions economically, but we're yeah. not getting paid for it. And I think... We need to get paid for it. And the allowances, for example, the person with disabilities gets an allowance. Which I'm not saying, you know, that's not right. I think the allowance should be increased. But I'm saying that the care partner has given up a lot. Mm. I've not been working since I took on this responsibility. But you and are working. You are working just in a different role. 24-7. Yeah. Exactly. 24-7. So if I were to... If we look at the statistics with global uh, dementia, the cost of dementia is at one currently at one point three trillion dollars. Half of that is on informal care, mm-hmm. and a huge number, two thirds of those who are providing care for uh, persons with dementia are women. So that's a huge monetary contributions that we are making, and yet we we're not recognized, we are ignored, uh, and Here's this cycle, right? When I am myself, if I live long enough to be in old age, who's going to care for me? I'm single. Mm. My money has been dwindling. Mm. Now, if I were to go into the labor market, I'm not going to, you know, I left a United Nations job at a mm-hmm. P4 level. And of course, you worry about some degree of hereditary um, prob, uh, you know, associations with um, dementia. Absolutely. And, and people who are caring for people with disabilities, they themselves are at risk of disabilities. I'm at a higher risk for dementia because of the chronic stress that I go through. People, care partners experience depression, chronic stress. And a lot of physical um, comorbidities as well. Physical comedy, because, you know, lifting, lifting the person who has become uh, immobile. Mm-hmm. I mean, you easily, I mean, you know, within a second, you yourself can become 
a person with disability. Absolutely. So really, you know, so where's the safety net? If that happens to me, who's going to take care of me? Mm-hmm. So but that, it's not just me. We're talking about thousands and thousands of people out there. Absolutely. And as George said, um, many others in circumstances where they have even less of um, um, support, that, that safety net. So I think there have been a lot of um, gems in our conversation for policymakers to take note of. But in closing, Sharifa, for our listeners um, who may be just uh, people in the community who are equally important in this journey, what is your message for them this International Day of Persons with Disabilities? First and foremost, if, you know, I'd like to recognise uh, care partners. I'd like to recognise the uh, Disability Rights Cluster of the CSO for Reform, which I am uh, a member of. I would like to also recognize other disability advocates who have been really supportive of the advocacy that we're doing with dementia, but also with care partners. And that has been, you know, working together in unity, that has really made a push for dementia. And, you know, earlier you asked in what one of the ways is really to, to work together and not working in silos. We have asked uh, policymakers not to work in silos. We need to do the same. And I think for care partners and 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 advocates also to to take it on, you know, take the challenge. I, mean, I have started my uh, own platform, uh, which is really a platform for care partners and persons with disability. The reason I did it because I felt that. You know, there was very little opportunity for us to engage so that we can do this. We It's also an advocacy mes- uh, message there that we are resourceful, that we are capable, that we can do this for ourselves and our community. And most importantly, we need to break the stigma mm-hmm. because the stigma is really a barrier. Our thoughts or our mindset about dementia, about disability our terms and language that we use. We, we still hear demented, mm. nyanyo, yeah. uh, inflicted, suffering. Those are very stigmatizing words. And, and it feeds into that pervasive stigma. And until we break that stigma, I don't think we are going to make um, strides Mm-hmm. in creating awareness um, and acceptance of people, all persons with disabilities and their care partners and families. George, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a very heartwarming story and journey for Sharipa. In in many ways, the uniqueness of our Asian culture is that we care for our loved ones at home. And that's the whole idea. That's the beauty of it. And it at the end, it's this matter of recognition and reward those who are the care partners who care for their loved ones at home. Because otherwise, we will probably 
uh, towards Western societies where, you know, your loved ones, whenever they reach a point where it's not coping and then you institutionalize them. I really hope one day in Asia, we never get to see that sort of like a common sight of uh, our loved ones. Then they um, get to this situation that they're not being able to cope. They actually get institutionalized to a, um, you know, care home. Mm. We need to um, put in place the structures that support the family members. Yes, um, family members, we do it out of love and it's cultural for us. But um, we cannot depend on on filial piety alone. Sorry, Sharifa, you want to very quickly add on to it? Yeah, I wanted to respond. I think, yes, you know, we still have a high level of filial piety. But at the same time, like I said, the, the dementia care partnering or care partnering with an older adult is really, really challenging. And Shao I'm glad you mentioned that, that we have to put the system in so that we can support those who want to care partner with their loved ones can do that and not affect their well-being significantly. Yes. And I think um, for those who are just not in a position to care for their loved ones at home, and if they do decide to, to transition their loved ones to a care home, I think that is a very personal uh, decision. Mm-hmm. It, it, we cannot judge them for doing that. However, as a society, we are not trained to work well with persons with dementia. The care homes, some of the care homes that are offering dementia care have not trained the care partners. And I can tell you because I call them up. I hear from care partners. They, um, they have not been trained to care for mm. persons with dementia. And I really think the part of the dementia plan is to really have a center that can be accessed by everybody, not just in urban geographic coverage, but throughout Malaysia. I think the conversation about care homes, mm. um, you know, means that this is part of a broader, bigger discussion. It doesn't end with um, our conversation today and we can continue Absolutely. to unpack this mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, just add to the discussion. Thank you so much, Sharifa, for speaking to us today. We've been speaking to Sharifa Tahir, family care partner and dementia advocate, and my co-host, Dr. George Lee, consultant urologist. This has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.